Welcome to No Challengers Remaining, live from the aftermath of the U.S. Open 2019. I am Ben Rothenberg, joined by Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. It's over. It is over. Not just the 2019 U.S. Open, but the slam season of the millennium. Oh, boy. Is also over. Millennium? Yeah. That reminds me. Let me get this right away. Or not millennium. Is millennium... No, okay. it's not decade, decade, decade. Sorry, clearly decade, not millennium. <laughs> I apologize. I've been drinking all day. The millennium, <laughs> the millennium will be over in the year three thousand. So yes, we have a ways to go until the millennium is over, and God, eh. God knows how many more the slams the big three will be before the year three thousand. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's some closure. It's end of the road, end of probably my tournament traveling schedule. So I feel like I am the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, bringing the light and the joy to the my hibernation season coming up. And I think this was a really good slam. And, like, a really good but also clean slam. Like, there was no controversy to speak of at all. There was no, like, day of bad feelings. There was no match that was uncomfortable and bad. Even when there was, it was really fun. I thought this was delightful. You love to see it, Ben. You... Uh... <laughs> Yes, you do. One loves to see this. One loves to see this, and I totally agree with you. I think this a fantastic slam uh, on both sides of the ledger. Um, just feel good moments, intriguing moments, and and harmless fun. You know, I mean, like like you were saying, you know, even when it was quote unquote controversial, it was harmless fun. It it didn't it didn't matter, and it was and you could just revel in it and lean into it and just have a good time and remember that sports is about entertainment. This, they are not curing cancer out there. Mm. They're not, you know, saving the world. It's about entertainment. And I feel and I feel like on that level, for both the men and the women, they absolutely delivered. I have a lot of friends who probably do, by their trade, write think pieces or things resembling those. I don't think this tournament gave a lot of opportunity for those, per se. It was mostly, compared to last year, I remember the mood in here last year. We were recording two separate episodes, <laughs> one about the women's final, one about everything else. It was very different. There was a lot to legislate. Here, nothing needs legislation. Everything is pretty much as it was. There's no right or wrong side of any debate. I mean, maybe you could debate Medvedev and how he reacted with the crowd, but honestly, no one was really against that, per se. So I just think it's like easy and clean and nice and and lovely. And like, And let's be clear, I am... As they say on the good place, a, mess, a messy bench who loves drama <laughs> at times in my life, and so I don't, I don't mind drama per se all the time. But I also, but this one also just gave good storylines without necessarily having feel bad moments. And yes, you can feel bad for individual players who lost Serena, maybe most obviously, in losing a fourth final in six slams, which is rough. But like everything happened in this very sort of straightforward way that it's hard to quibble with or hard to have a moment where you left sight feeling just kind of lousy which happens in a lot of slams sometimes but for various reasons yeah i mean i think that obviously setting aside fan partisanship yeah. right i mean obviously novak having to retire like that sucks as a moment you know roger finishing out that match the way that he did and, and getting beat by grigor and having some back issues that sucks. I mean, I get that. Um, and obviously, Serena, like you said. Um, but 
on the whole, the, like you said, it, it's a clean slam. It's a feel-good slam in a lot of ways. Um, again, I say that setting aside fan partisanship. Obviously, if you are partisan to a player, this might feel like the most tragic thing ever, and we can get to that. Um, but uh, but for the most part, um, this was just about the tennis and, and about putting on shows and, and creating those moments unexpectedly, whether it was Daniil Medvedev early on in the tournament, breaking out of tennis. Like, no one in America knew who this guy was before this tournament. Um, and now he's like a meme king. Weird. It's, it's, I live for this Russian glow up. Uh, but yeah, like even his, his ability to kind of rise above it and, um, and break out, as we say, of the sports pages, put tennis out of the sports pages and into the mainstream. That's massive. Uh, you know, whether it's Bianca, whether it's, uh, the moment between Naomi Osaka and Coco Goff, like that, that's what we need as a sport. Like as much as people are diehards and, uh, you know, like today when I was praising like the, the U S open Twitter account, tweeting out the rules stuff and being like, you know, this is, this is really good because not everybody knows the rules. And so you have to stop things spiraling out of control. I had people in my mentions being like, everybody knows this rule. No, at slam, this is why I hate slam Twitter. Like there are a lot of people weighing in who don't know. And it is our responsibility not to sit there as, as like tennis Twitter and be like, Meh. But, like, to be like, no, like, please, welcome yourselves into the fold. And I feel like Medvedev did that. I feel like Coco Goff did that. I feel like the moment between Naomi and Coco did that. I feel like Andrescu did that. There was a lot going on. And um, and in that way, this was really, I mean, thank goodness this is how we wrung out this decade of slams. <laughs> Could you imagine if it was reversed? Like, if, if 2018 was 2019? <laughs> it's like <laughs> that was a great noise it reminds me of when usa network which had broadcast the u.s open for decades ish at least ended its coverage forever with djokovic goading the crowd after he beat after he beat roddick that was yeah. their last That's match right. that got to air yeah. so that was a mess they were like well it's a weird note to go out on here's a montage of fun moments from the past <laughs> take it away mary um or whatever it was um but you know yeah um there were some moments obviously yes that sort of one of the things we talked about in the last year's slam was what the benefits are. We talked about this on the show before. What happens when mainstream weighs in on tennis? And there was a lot in Serena's comments about her loss. Um, there was a lot of comments that I saw. I clicked on the user profiles and they were all somewhere in Ontario. <laughs> they were making these comments about the loss. And there's a lot of sudden experts in tennis from Canada, which is understandable. Before we get into that, though, let's decide. Do you want to talk about men first, women first? We should figure that out. Let's, because we just watched the conclusion of it, let's start with the guys and okay. then we'll finish up with the girls. Sounds good. So, men's final, we haven't mentioned his name yet, I don't think. Rafael Nadal won the 2019 US Open, his 19th Grand Slam, putting him just one back of Roger Federer for the all time slam leaderboard on the dude side. How far is he from Margaret Court, though? He's five back of court. Uh, Gotta chase it. At least we don't have to deal with that shit you do, too. That's fine. That's fair. F fair in the unfair ways. Uh, yeah, so Rafa, I gotta say, I was, like, unenthused about Rafa's championship run until late today. Because this was the second time in three years where Rafa really had the draw just break his way. If we can scroll down on our handy computer to Rafa's half of the draw. Rafa started off against uh, Millman, who actually was a tough first round. I mean, he played well, but it was it was not the easiest on paper. That was a tougher match than the score three two and two two. I think indicates he had a walkover from Kokonakis second round that helps a lot. He got to play Hyun Chung, who was just not up to playing that level yet. 
Uh, Chilich, he took a set off him, but that was not a very impressive match, I think, from either of them. Schwartzman was a, a, a tough three, but not really ever a threat per se. And then Berrettini had a set point, I think, in the, or two set points in the tiebreak in the first set, maybe one before that. I'm not sure we were out eating Korean food that night. Um, and then went pretty comfortably over Berrettini. We'll get to him later. And then beat Medvedev. And Medvedev had lost so lopsidedly to Nadal in the Montreal final last month. But I was really actually not very excited about this final. I was like, oh, he's going to go out there and get killed again. Ben was not about it. I wasn't particularly about it, honestly. Uh, just because it, it just reminded me a lot of 2017, where it was this other slam very recently, US Open, where the do- the draw broke very hard for Nadal, where everybody else sort of bowed out. He had to play like almost nobody proven on the way there. He got Del Potro, but Del Potro was really faded and banged up after beating Federer in the round before. Um, and then, yeah, and he beat Anderson in one of the worst Grand Slam finals of the decade. Now that we're putting a cherry on it. Uh, and, and it just didn't seem that exciting to me. And then, and honestly, as I was watching this match, I didn't love the tennis, per se. The, the way these two played each other, at least at the beginning, where they were both standing with, I think I said on the show before, just a tennis that I don't particularly admire or enjoy, which is the ass against the wall returning. Both of them doing that. Like, I just, it's a weird word to use. I've heard people use it and get, crap for it but i'll happily get this crap too i know this is not fair per se but it just strikes me as like cowardly when you stand so far back that you're just waiting for the ball to slow down so you can return it like that just feels like it's not cheating or cheap per se but just like that's not like the spirit of the thing come on let yourself get ace don't stand so far back and then eventually mevedev especially adjusted in the third and fourth sets and into the fifth to make it a much more competitive match started coming in a lot more both of them were losing more than half of their baseline points. So both of them had to come in. Which I thought was an interesting set. Both of them had to come in to make things happen in this match. And eventually it got good, but it still aesthetically was not the my favorite tennis to watch, but it became very competitive. And Medvedev is a really, really good tactician in the sport um, and found ways to make it interesting and had enough time. Obviously not a fan of best of five, as people know, but like had enough time in this match to sort of figure out what worked, what didn't work, and make it a competitive match. Maybe he would have had that with more urgency had it been a shorter format. We'll never know. But, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a good final to cap an otherwise forgettable run for Nadal to the title, I think. Well, in, in a good tournament, Nadal's run, per se, does not do much for me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, the final p- kind of erases a lot of the lackluster-ness of the men's tournament. I mean, That's a reusable tweet right there. Fair. Yeah, actually, that that's true. That happens a lot. Um, and I don't mean that necessarily negatively. Because, well, I mean, it, obviously, it's negative. But like, um, you know, the men's tournament had moments. I mean, Grigor getting that win over Fed was a feel good moment in a lot of ways. If you follow Grigor, like Medvedev doing his thing, Rublev beating Kyrgios was 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 great. Berrettini, that was a feel good story. Schwartzman, all these things. But watching the men's tournament, uh outside of Medvedev only because I just decided to stand it and just be like, this is what my tournament's about outside of that. I really wasn't entirely um, riveted. The, the tennis was a lot of times you had great matchups and then they just like ended up flopping to be three sets, um, things like that. So in a lot of ways, I think that the, the final papers over what was, you know, in a fine tournament, not a bad tournament, but um, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that I don't know, maybe in six months people forget, kind of happened. Can you explain why you've decided to stand Daniel Medvedev? (laughs) 
I'm a big fan of authenticity. Uh, and I feel like in a lot of ways, Medvedev is incredibly authentic. Um, in the same way that, that, that Andrescu, I think on the women's side, they, they, they kind of lean in and accept themselves. Um, and there's a lot to be said about that. Um, they're not, I don't feel like with either of them, they're putting on a face or acting a certain way or trying to be Roger and the Roger Federation of tennis and everybody's trying to be a gentleman or, you know, like whatever, or that a young player in Andrescu's position is supposed to be humble and like, just be thankful that she's able to break through. And, you know, like she backs herself and, and Medvedev, I respect as well as a tactician. I respect the way that he plays his tennis, which is, is like trolley style. I like, I'm going to mess with you. I'm going to mess with you. And, you know, Ben and I have talked about this a lot about, um, more so on the women's side, probably than the men's side, but about the concept of, of players. When you ask them, what do you have to do up against the next opponent? And they're like, I just got to play my game. Ugh. And it's like, it's, it's kind of the worst, honestly. Like that's a baloney thing to say, unless you're maybe Serena. Although now we can have a whole debate as to whether that's true. And we will. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But, um, but you know, Andrescu, Medvedev, a Benchich in a way, like I really, really respect those types of players who look at the matchup, look at what's happening and actually make tactical adjustments and that the tactical adjustment is their game. That's absolutely Medvedev. Medvedev. Same with Bianca, I think. Yeah, Bianca too, completely. Bianca, and Bianca also has this, I forget if it was you said this, has this sort of tactical ADD where she can win so many different ways because she's so good. And how she got to be so good is a whole different topic. We'll get to her more. We'll get to that. We'll get to her more fully later. But, like, she just kind of tries different things within a match to see what works. In matches where she's probably feeling more comfortable, maybe not the final against Serena, which is probably not an example of that, per se. Medvedev, yes. Medvedev does not have a particularly huge weapon. He's not enormously huge off the ground. There's not one shot you look at. Serve is good, but not... It's good. It's not like Isner serve. Right. It's like, it's a good serve. It's a top 20 serve on the ATP, let's say. But is it? But he still just fan, is so good at picking apart people, and this was so on display in Cincinnati, made the final, and he was beating people easily, and just like he's so good while gassed, yeah, while tired, and while having played so much, he's so good at picking exactly what you do worst and making you do that over and over again, and just finding ways to make you uncomfortable, and that's what I love most about tennis. That's the kind of player. Obviously, I don't talk about much of my own tennis. That's not remarkable. But that's the kind of player I was when I was playing high school tennis or whatever. Like I was really good at making the other player play bad, whether it was just like through pushing or through just being like junky or whatever. Like I can do, I could do that. And that's, and that's still, you know, when I play whatever, you know, tennis video games or whatever, that's still what I enjoy doing. I enjoy the sort of chessy side of it. Not like, oh, let's see if we can go hit the ball harder and run faster. And on a lot of points, the men's final turned into that because that's how Nadal plays. And this is sort of what Kyrio said on this podcast where it, clay court tennis and i think the u.s open is playing so slow that it's almost clay courtish at times clay court tennis just turns into this physicality we're just running back and forth seeing who can run the longest but they were both so even at that today and it was so slow these conditions of the u.s open that eventually they started breaking through and started bringing each other net pretty often they came to net a fair amount in the end both of them not by their own choice sometimes um but yeah like it that's the kind of stuff i respect and medvedev is so smart about that and it just like tennis for me is not it's never been about and this is again why sort of i gravitate towards certain playing styles and not others 
it's never been about, oh, who's the fittest? Who put in the most time in the gym? Who's going to not cramp first? Like, that's just not satisfying to me at all. That's not why I enjoy tennis, because it's, it's distance running or something. No, I enjoy tennis because it's about trying to figure out your opponent, matching them up, and Medvedev scratches a lot of that itch in a way that a lot of players don't. And Andrescu, same thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with a lot of that. And I, I think that, you know, for me, when I, I think about what I love about tennis, and particularly, I'll, I'll say this segmenting it out to men's tennis, I don't necessarily respond to like mono mono tennis, which is a, a, effectively kind of what you're saying, right? Like, I'm like, gay es mas macho? I am mas macho. Like, you know, like, it's it, like, macho tennis. yeah, I'm like macho tennis, like, let's go. Like, let's run for 20. No, like, I went to a three and a half hour dinner at the start of this, uh, the start of this final, and I caught the last three sets, and I was perfectly happy with it. Like, I don't need it. I, I personally, and people can disagree, but that's for me, like, good for you, not for me. But what is so intriguing about Medvedev and what he can do is simply that it, it is, it becomes a chess game and it becomes a skill game where your brain power is a skill. You know, it, it is no longer like I train and I have my patterns and I'm just going to do my patterns and I, you know, and my patterns are just going to beat you. That's not entirely my shtick for what I like to see at its peak. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it was just really, really refreshing with Medvedev. I, I, res- I appreciated as much as he was a heel in the first week, how much he kind of owned it, not, and uh, not owned it in a villain kind of way. Obviously his, his, his comments to the crowd were a villain-esque WTA, W, uh, not TA, WWE, <laughs> um, you know, style of thing. But then he would go into his press conferences and was actually quite contrite and said, like, I absolutely deserved what I got, like, out on that court from the crowd. Like, I, I messed up and I get it. And that is what probably turns me into a Medvedev fan more than just the heelishness. Like, you know, like, I love Kyrgios as well. I do. But I also can objectively understand that, like, he's not apologizing for his behavior almost ever. And so I can understand why, like, like being frustrated with his, um, uh, yeah, like, he doesn't lean into it. You know, he, well, I guess he does. But, um, but yeah, just that humility, I suppose. And, and Medvedev does do that. I think that he's incredibly charismatic in interviews. Um, it reminds me of Safin in a lot of ways, just the way that he talks, the way that he's so like uh fluent and has such a great grasp on the english language how quick he is how smart he is um just as a human being like i will take smarts over a lot like smarts as a tennis athlete or any athlete for me personally papers over a lot of flaws and medvedev has his flaws and we can talk about that if you want to but um yeah no like i like i tweeted like if i was still covering the atp he is the first member of the next gen that I would have been like, oh man, I would cover you for the next 10 years and be happy. And I personally couldn't say that about a lot of the players. Not because they're perfectly nice guys. Yeah. But there's just something, something about Medvedev that like draws me in. Medvedev is super smart. He reminds me, very, this is a very stupid uh, reference I'm about to make, but he reminds me a lot of um, the character in the play within a play queen of jordan who says porsche reads the papers like there's something about medvedev that's super aware like medvedev like it, literally he reads newspapers and doesn't pretend he doesn't yeah. it doesn't have time to he like, doesn't play pretend game. anything yes he's just like he's honest and forthright and says hey look like i've interviewed him a bunch this summer he made the final washington where i was this year he made the final cincinnati where i was this year he made the final canada where i wasn't this year but i got plenty of medvedev regardless the other two weeks he does not 
have time to sort of like be indulging what people want to think. And this is what you talked about before, I think alluded to with federalization. There is a not I don't think Federer is inauthentic, to be clear. Agreed. But I think the people who there's a lot of people who have tried to copy Federer with mixed results, and I would even throw Djokovic to that camp, honestly. Where you just try to play safe and not always just be yourself in this way, which and I, and that's a hard thing to do in life. I'm not saying it's easy to be yourself per se, but Medvedev, we can get more specific on that heel turn. I was out there in grandstand, not grandstand, uh, Louis Armstrong, when he was playing Feliciano Lopez there with a bunch of people, Tumani, Ricky Diamond, and we're just having a great time. And then we we're like, oh, this encore interview could be interesting. And it was amazing. He was beckoning the crowd with his arms outstretched, pulling them towards him with his hands, his long arms. It's very, very, octopusy kind of kind of creature Daniel Medvedev and just sort of being sarcastic and fun and, and just like enjoying that thing and, and saying not pretending the crowd had been for him being basically like look y'all didn't like me I still won haha <laughs> in this very Nelson Muntz way that was like innocent and great and like just sort of pure and you want antagonism in sports sometimes like there were lots of people to get to jump a different topic there's also people who thought I got lots of tweets I don't know if they were all Canadian or what they weren't all Canadian actually this time we're like, God, the U.S. Open crowd in that women's final was so classless. Oh, my God, it was not. Stop. It I was... have been in Canada when Bianca Andreescu has played matches against non-Canadians. Not Let's even... not even play that it's game. It's not even about that. It's just like these people, people make it seem like they want to have tennis played in cemeteries. People like... are snowflakes. Oh. Like there's this snowflakeness about tennis. Like why can't it be combative? Why? And it's, oh, it's gentlemen. Oh, we need it late. For you me, don't. for me personally, I don't need that. You can't do that, and then also in the other breath, complain about how they're ruining Davis Cup and making it neutral. Like, pick one or the other, or neither. <laughs> I mean, just like stop. I mean, it's neither. Ne- absolutely neither. <laughs> PK was here. Did you see PK? I did not see PK. I saw PK Subban. I didn't see PK. Yeah, I saw PK Subban too. The better PK. Yeah, we saw, PK. we actually talked about this in last year's US Open <laughs> show. I remember too. With the P, which PK is better debate? We are fully Team Subban. Uh, he was here with Lindsey Vaughn watching the final, so that was lovely. Um, I saw a face sheet of the people, the celebrities at the final. Uma Thurman was here. What? You didn't know that? They showed her very briefly early in the match. You probably not have seen it. If I knew she was there, I would have actually gotten transport and come to sight. <laughs> also, both menages, Nikki and Hassan, were there on site today. Don't do much for you. I was just amused that there are two menages and they're very different and they're both there. Um, not that, well, which one? I prefer Nikki if I had to pick. I think she's gotten a bad rap in the whole Cardi thing. That's a different topic. Um, <laughs> That's from Rants and Raves. <laughs> but, 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 uh, but yes, Medvedev was a breath of fresh air, played very interesting tennis. He's an interesting player to watch. I don't, I like, I will repeat, I don't like the matchup with Nadal. I think they were trying to yeah. do the same thing at each other on a slow court. It was not my favorite stylistic tennis to watch per se but it was compelling it got close he made it interesting Nall had a little bit of letting him back in the match that i thought was compelling too all that was good Medvedev was a very deserving number four and also is the first guy from his generation who came actually legitimately close to winning a grand slam i mean he was within two games well three because he was down he would have to one seven five but he got to six four in the fifth and it was it was positive and great and it sort of shows some Things that he did well were things that his other next-gen compatriots did not do well, per se. Um, and we can talk about that and how Medvedev reflects on Zverev. I've heard conversations about that this week, uh, which we don't need to get totally into. But it was just positive, and it's good to see fresh blood. It's good to see him so embraced by it. And I just, yeah, the way he goes about things are a lot. And you mentioned his flaws. Yes, there are things he's done that have been shitty in the past, undoubtedly. Straight up. That's how yes. it's described. 
I mean, he's had a lot of gamey matches. Um, I've had various coaches and players complain to him before he was well-known. Like that Medvedev guy, he's a piece of work. Basically. Complain to you. Complain to me, yes. Yeah, just yeah. Per- privately, before or after matches. That like this Medvedev, yeah, just, I don't like Medvedev. He's, he's, uh, he's just a bad egg, essentially saying. And, you know, I listen to that and I hear that and I've seen him get under people's skin. And that was part of his tactics. I think he's reeled that back. Now that his tennis has improved, I don't think he needs to do that part as much, maybe. Um, and also, and you know, the throwing coins at umpires, I'm not... I'm not clutching my pearls at that per se. Yeah, no, I I was just going to say that, like, I think that there's a lot to be said about making a distinction about, and I guess, I mean, people can call me out on this, but like, there's a distinction between what you do when people aren't watching. Like, I think in a lot of ways, Medvedev, like, obviously has never been under the spotlight. You were telling me about the New York Times article you wrote like a few years ago about spotlighting Russian tennis. Mm -hmm. And it was... Oh, yeah. I wrote an article about, I think it was Australian Open 2017. It was about the new Russians coming up, and it was Hachanov and Rublev and Bublik, who wasn't even Russian anymore, but was Kazakh and had like a good tournament. And I Sasha Bubbles. Sasha Bubbles, who had a nice little US Open. He's becoming a solidly top 100 player, so we're into that. Um, but yeah, but Medvedev was not really on the radar. Medvedev was an afterthought in Next Gen when he made the Next Gen. I think he was actually an alternate into it. Uh, when Zverev pulled out in 2017, which was the first year of Next Gen. So he was not the anointed anything, and yet he's come up. And, and the one thing I'll, I'll mention this because it's come up before. I've seen a lot of people early in his run, the US Open especially, mention the thing that happened at the Challenger, Tallahassee or Savannah, I can't remember which one, uh, with Donald Young, which people said, oh, it was racist remarks, whatever. I think it's a lot more ambiguous than that, what happened in that match. He said basically that the chair empire, he said, oh, the, the, remark, the remark he made, and you can judge with this how you want it. If your interpretation is very fair enough. But he said about toward, towards the chair empire, forgetting calls he didn't agree with, like to, about Medvedev, sorry, about the chair empire. And Don Young said, oh, you two are friends, huh? Which to me is, can be seen several different ways. If you want to take it that way, fair enough. I just think it's an ambiguous at worst remark on that front. And that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I absolutely, and I would never, I, I do not begrudge anybody if they want to hold all of those past. Nor do I. Yeah, uh, past incidences against him, uh, but it, it's the argument that I kind of make with respect to him, with respect to even Nick. Uh, you can go all the way back to like Roger, honestly, and say like, if you were, t- and I mean, well, yeah, even for myself, like, if you were to hermetically seal me at nineteen years old. 20 years old, 21 years old, and judge me by that for the rest of my life, whew, that's dangerous. And I think that with Medvedev, I do genuinely, and he still gets crazy on court, and he still loses his mind and does, like, weird-ass shit, like, uh, uh, racket slamming in Cincinnati. Or no, it was here. Yeah, here, it- where he did it, and he, like, didn't break eye contact with his coach. It was intense. <laughs> Like I saw the replay of it, I was like, that was intense. Um, but he he loses his mind and he does dumb crap. And yeah. sure, but whether you choose to, and like I say, it's your right to choose not to. But whether you choose to kind of give him the space and to do diligence and to listen to him discuss those incidents and whatever, you can be like, screw you, man. Like you're you're dead to me. That's totally fair. But I also don't think that the re- the opposite reaction of like he it, it's different now he's maturing he's changing is a bad response either like you know like it's your truth is your truth and then it's fine but um 
for me, it just feels like it's like way easier to forgive uh, Daniil than it is to forgive Nick for certain things. And I say this as a Nick apologist. Yeah. You know, like you I, are. I am. No, I, I adore Nick and I think that he's he's great for the sport and whatever. But in the grand scheme of things, um, yeah, I don't know. But like I said, your mileage may vary and that's OK. Yes, there we go. Uh, let's talk about the guy who Mevita beat in the semifinal, who is just... I'm cracking up that we're not talking about Rafa yet, but continue. Is there... What, well, when we talk about Rafa, what do we have to say about Rafa? I mean, like, Rafa won the US Open. He's done it... This is fourth year. I think it's remarkable that Rafa has won the US Open four times this decade, more than any man or woman this decade, after the sort of narrative at Rafa on hard courts. Like, oh, it's breaking him. It's killing the sport. We need less hard courts. And yet Rafa walks away being the US Open champion. I say that with due respect and shade. Like, I think that he's been fine. And (laughs) both. It's a shady, respectful tree. (laughs) Honestly, equal both. I mean, like, I think Rafa Rafa has has done well. I mean, he's gotten some breaks. I don't don't understand how he went in 2013. That was the weird year for me with Rafa, where he came out of nowhere, won Canada, Cincy, and U.S. Was that the year of the serve? That was 2010, where he suddenly had a serve out of nowhere. I don't know. I mean, Rafa's U.S. Open is a little weird. 2017 was... Patchy, this one, like we said, that wasn't inspiring. We talked a little bit about it before. It wasn't an inspiring draw until he got to Medvedev. Uh, he's good. I mean, he's in great position out of Ty Federer at the French Open. Assuming Federer does not win Australia, odds are they will be tied atop the mountain top at 20 slams apiece. Um, Rafa's been very good at taking care of business. He's been the one of these sturdier trees in the forest when the hard winds come. My lord, you got real poetic. It was like it's really awkward. But I will say this about like kind of like the like I, I really don't have much to say about Rafa because there's nothing new to say about Rafa. There like like he pro- he is what we thought he was. Like that that's the bottom line. And I I'm not gonna sit here and be like, ooh, I learned something new about him. I did not. I, I, I learned nothing new about him. That's why I wasn't didn't talk yeah. about him that much. Well, and the thing is so I, I, out of respect, honestly, because we know that you've been new. Y- Yo, Rafa! Yo, y'all, listeners, you know everything about Rafa already. The story's been told. The it's story- weird to me that people were doubting him, even at, like, two sets all or, like, whatever. I was like, ooh, I'm like, come on. It's freaking it, once, Rafa. Once he, once he held from one all in the fifth, when Medvedev had the yeah, chance yeah. to kind of, like, yeah. pull ahead, then I was like, no, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. Yeah. No, it, it reminds me, though, and I'll just shout this out, because, um, so Barbara Stritzova, she has a book in, in not a book, but uh, a... She's on the cover of this book in the Czech Republic, and she has a chapter about whatever. So I've been hassling – I had been hassling her for about eight months. Yo, give me a copy of your book. Give me a copy of your book. At the French Open, she finally gave me a copy. It was autographed. Didn't ask her to do that, but thank you. And the 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 inscription in the um, in the book that she wrote was effectively, journalism is about uplifting those who kind of like don't get the attention. And I feel like in a lot of ways, this is that. Like, we know what Rafa is. We know. And, and like, I don't need to t- tell you guys that. You will read it tomorrow on Monday morning, 30 think pieces about how amazing he is. So, yeah, I'm going to spend my time talking about Daniil well, Medvedev. Let's just, let's just talk about Grigor. We just get, get back to <laughs> – we were just going to talk about Grigor. It's going to be we fine. Were, we're we going to were, skip over we – so let, let's re-skip over Rafa yes. with, with all due deference to his greatness. Um because we again we've done two hundred episodes, lots of them have been rough. It's been fine. Um, Dimitrov has not had done much lately. He was ranked seventy eighth, and then coming into this tournament, he was real bad this summer. Well, I mean, real bad in one match. He this lost, year, he lost this year seventy eight. Says something. He started the year top twenty ish, and the year before that at number three. 
Um, he lost. I watched his match. He lost in Atlanta to Kevin King. I watched it on Tennis Channel. Uh, underrated commentator Jimmy Arias. I think he's actually really good. Was Carl in that match? Um, and Jimmy and I were both distraught at, Rob, at, at Greek Horse <laughs> level. Uh, but he did wear this bandana, which I think was actually a pretty good look. Um, so that was going for him, if not his tennis. Uh, Dimitrov came in here with no momentum. Got kind of a lucky walkover in the second round from Chorich, which cleared up his draw a little bit. And then he got a, a pretty good draw, honestly. Played Camille Mitrazak in third round. Played Dimonaur, who had never made a fourth round of a slam before, I don't think. And that, I was still wasn't sure he was going to win that, but he did win that. And then he comes out and beats Federer. And Federer is not at his best, but Dimitrov still was in there and, like, really believing and battling and hadn't had a win like that at a slam in a long time since probably he beat defending Wimbledon champion Murray in 2014. Wimbledon. Can we not? Moving on. Uh, Dimitrov, yeah. We say this about – I feel like we don't say this about – it's a gendered thing. We always say this about the women. Dimitrov is the nicest boy. He is the nicest boy. He gets along with everybody. This is not – Relevant to anything, but I think the listeners should know. After the women's final, he was in the lobby of the sort of player lounge entrance, slow dancing with Venus Williams. What? It was lovely. <laughs> I don't know why he was still there. <laughs> He'd lost the day before, but he was just slow dancing with Venus Williams, and it was nice. It was nice. I don't know. I didn't know what to make of it, but it was nice. He's a he's a good boy, he's, and he's and, a- and and the thing that I we were talking about a little bit um, a couple of days ago after he beat Roger was. Grigor Dimitrov, what elevates him to kind of like legendary nice boy status is he has every reason to not be that. He should be so bitter. He could be so bitter. Or diva-esque. Like, you know, like, you know, hyped the way that he was. Like, his dating life, like, is tracked and he's been with, like, you know, all these stars and whatever. And he's been touted from when he was young and he was supposed to be the next fetter. Like, all these sorts of things. He has every reason to be as you take a sip of your white russian the dude like just kind of like a guy who just is kind of going through life and 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 you know kind of disheveled and has seen some things but he's so earnest and he's so pure and i say that as somebody who like i don't know is not those things no (laughs) you know i admire grigor for being things that i am not yeah like seriously i mean grigor is like is in a way like too pure for this earth in a lot of ways (laughs) And he's just like, yeah, he, I did an interview with him uh, after he beat the day after he beat Federer. Um, I was actually running late because I was stuck in traffic on the bus and he like waited, which never happens. Um, so I appreciated that. And I t- he like my other favorite Greek moment of the summer was if you happen to see his Insta story the day he went to the Backstreet Boys concert at Barclay Center. It wasn't so much that he went to the Backstreet Boys concert. It was that his Insta story was so full of Backstreet Boys concert content that you've seen this before. Where like someone's like Insta story turns into just like periods. Yeah, yeah. There were like literally like eighty updates that day. <laughs> Him singing along constantly, really loud, really not particularly in any sort of tune, but so enthusiastic and so earnest. And like again, this is a sport that jades people, that breaks people, that makes people bitter, that makes people earnest, that makes people not earnest, that makes people cynical, uh, cynical that makes people. You know, just distraught. There's every 127 players at this tournament lost this week, right? Grigor has lost a lot of tournaments. Grigor has been has quote unquote disappointed people a lot. Grigor has not lived up to hype, but Grigor still has this sort of sunny optimism that is something which I fully envy and fully think is great in the world. And he's just a nice person around. That's why, again, something like Venus Williams is drawn towards him, and he's just like a guy who is just such like a value add in terms of just like keeping tennis to be like a more pleasant place to be because Grigor's just endlessly 
polite and pleasant and nice. And not that that is everything in, in tennis. It certainly hasn't won him any grand slams being the nice guy. I'm not saying he finishes last. He finished like fourth, which is pretty good uh, out of 128. Um, yeah. So we, we like Grigor. We think he's, he's grand. Yeah, no, I mean like just to, cause I know I tweeted about it, but obviously uh, uh, on Twitter, it's hard to tell the entire story, but oh, the laundry story, the laundry right story. Now. So yeah. uh, just to, give further context and color to the laundry story from Cincinnati. I was checking into my hotel uh, and you know, the lady's just taking a real long time. It was real slow. And out of the corner of my eye, I see coming approaching the check-in desk, somebody who's in like literally a beach tank top, like a Aussie style, you know, tank top, um, shorts, a lot of rib, rib, uh, shorts and some flip-flops. And I was just like, whatever. So I just like sat there, kind of kept staring. And then finally that person just kept standing there. So I was like, I turned and I look at Grigor and he's like, hey. And I was like, hi. And just to give context, like when I was covering the ATP for Sports Illustrated, it was during a very specific time. And that time was very much like Grigor was a thing, like Ernie was still still a thing, like Andy was struggling and whatever. But like I never got to have sit downs with any of the top four, like the big four. But for some reason, if I put in a request for Grigor or if I put in a request for Golbis or whatever, I got it. So like I kind of but now it's been so far removed that I just assumed the ATP guys never remember me as a Sports Illustrated reporter. It's been a very small handful of players that do. Um, Roger is one of them, which was just weird because I never I don't think I ever asked a question to Roger in press conference. And like <laughs> I definitely never got a one on one. So it's a little weird. Um, Andy. Um, because creepy. Uh, and then you being creepy. That's me. Not no, not him. Me. All me. All me. Yeah. Um, and uh, Ernie still says hi to me if he sees me in the street. And then, um, and then Grigor. But at the moment, I had forgotten. He's like, hey, how's it going? You know, what's blah, blah, blah. So I was like, what are you doing? Because she was being so slow. So I was like, oh, did your card get, your room key card get demagnetized? Like, and he was like, and I was like, please cut in front of me and just get that fixed so you can go do your thing. He's like, no, 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 it's, 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 it's totally fine. I, I'm just here to get a dollar. And he looked like so embarrassed about it. I was like, you need a dollar? He's like, yeah. I was like, okay. And I literally pulled out my wallet, grabbed the dollar and just gave it to him. Cause I just felt bad that like this woman was being so slow and Greek or Dimitrov is like just standing there waiting I gave it to him. And he's like, no, 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 I don't need that. Like, blah, blah. It's like, just freaking take the dollar, Grigor. Like, live your life. And he's like, no, no, I need. I, he was so embarrassed. He's like, I, I need quarters. And I was like, oh, he's like, yeah, for laundry. It's like, okay. So eventually, you know, I check in, whatever. And we're walking in the same direction in the hallway. And Grigor's going off about the hotel. This is a Homewood Suites. Uh, but he's just like, oh, yeah, you chose the best hotel. You know, the tournament's been so amazing to me because ever since I won it, they've like offered to offered me a house on the golf course. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I'm going to stay there. He's like, this place is great. You can do your laundry. The rooms are big. Like the breakfast is unbelievable. And I was just kind of like, <laughs> because his earnestness like really jars me. <laughs> and, I, and I was just being, I was like, oh, yeah, I mean good to see you. you're still i love that you're still down to earth man like you're still keeping it real he's like oh got to you got to do it and i was like okay i'm gonna go to my room now <laughs> like this is too much like saccharine sweetness but he's a good dude he's a really really good dude and i was genuinely happy by the tournament that he got that he's back like with a ranking that 
will help him at tournaments. Um, and he played a heck of a match against Roger. I, I know that Roger was compromised, but but he played it believing that he could do it. Yeah. And and that that was a big thing. And he played pretty well against Medvedev, too, in that semifinal. And that yeah. was not a bad semifinal at all, even if it was straight sets. And Medvedev was comfortably ahead by the end. Uh, the other men's semifinalist we don't mention is Matteo Berrettini. The corny record. Oh, yes, that was right. Matteo <laughs> Berrettini like, did who? do that. Had that sort of Serena with Chilich gift face, which I loved <laughs> so much. Um, Berrettini had a comfort run. We were, I think, honestly disappointed he didn't get to play Nick in the fourth round tragedy again because we're just messy that way um but yeah Berrettini had a good run has been somebody who's been slowly coming up I watched Berrettini for the first time and I say this not as like maybe it is a brag I don't know but like I watched him in a challenge challenger stream against Ducky Lee in some Chinese challenger like two three years ago and two years 2017 before he was gonna make next gen and did not make next gen which was weird because he got couldn't didn't get the Italian wild card um who got it Gianluigi Quincy but it was like a playoff they played for it um but yeah, uh, Bertini's like really good. He's like big, strong, strapping boy. Hits the ball hard. Just like he has one flaw, Ben. Please, please tell the world what that flaw is. Since you brought it up, uh, Matteo Bertini has the the teeny is for the calves because it's so strange to me because Matteo Bertini is like this like big, strong rugby looking guy who's like bigger and like broader and like thicker than a normal tennis player. Then for some I, again, it's not it's not like a moral flaw, but like he for some reason has these like really toothpicky calves that are just incongruous. And I now that now once I notice him for the first time, Wimbledon, I can't stop staring at them, and it's bad. I need to stop that. I need to move on with my life. But now he's wearing ankle braces and like high tube socks to try to cover them up. It just draws more attention in my mind. Anyway, Matera Bertini is a phenomenal player and athlete from knees up. The rest is questionable. I don't know. I'm curious why he's wearing the braces. Because if he thinks he's going to like, if he thinks he's one of the, if he, he thinks he's, because he's top heavy looking. He has, exactly. That's why he's wearing the ankle braces. Because I there's guess. a lot of weight that can go tip over. He has no clearly leg or ankle strength. There's nothing going on there. It, it, it just cracks me up because obviously, elephant in the room. One of the reasons why Matteo Berrettini is Matteo Berrettini. And why people know him is that he's incredibly good looking. These are the best, good, the most best looking bronze medal match of this tournament. My gosh, oh, Dimit- yeah. Dimitrov and Berrettini. These are two very handsome young men. No doubts about that. No one's doubting that at all. No one's doubting that at all. So it's always it's been really funny the last few weeks, like talking about Matteo Berrettini, and I'll talk to my boy, my guy friends. It's like, oh yeah, Berrettini, like, mm. and they're like, he has no calves. To which I, I'm like. A, <laughs> Who the fuck is looking at his calves? Like, you guys are freaking weird, man. <laughs> I have nothing to add. You're holding the microphone in front of me. Like, I have nothing to add. I have nothing to add. I'm, I'm happy for him. He's, he's, again, a very, very nice guy. Yes, very good-looking person. People have been on a, people have been sleeping on the Baratini good-lookingness, but hopefully he'll be, like, the new Grigor, I guess, in terms of being that the good-looking player. We mentioned the Kira thing. He's now dating Ala Tomjanovic, and we thought they'd play each other fourth round. That'd be a mess. But M- M- Kira's lost to Rublev, who's had a great tournament. Rublev uh, beat Kyrgios, beat uh Tsitsipas in the first round um gosh Tsitsipas um <laughs> yeah how do you feel Ben about Stefano Tsitsipas claiming that he's going on a social media sabbatical it was really funny because Tsitsipas <laughs> tweeted like had like some other insta story like eight minutes earlier it was like some like one of his quotes and like next one was like I am done <laughs> <laughs> it's like something happened in the last eight minutes it really just like i don't know if you ran out of quotes that you in your clipboard or whatever um 
I don't know or care, honestly, about the social sabbatical for Tessa Fox. I hope he's happy. He's, again, in a more extreme version than, than Dimitrov. Far too pure for this world. And we will see. Um, other dude stories I've written down. The only other thing I have written, actually, for the dudes is, is um, well, two things. I should mention t- slash tease. Bashuk Pospisil beat Karen Hachanov first round. And I recorded an NCR with Vashik, which will come up sometime in this month, later this month in September, about player council stuff, about ATP unionization. He's a big rabble-rouser and Norma Ray figure in ATP labor at the moment. And so uh, he's an interesting person. Hopefully you'll enjoy that. It is... It, maybe you won't. I don't know. But it was. I think we were both kind of bleary. It was an early morning. Uh, Did he, you ask Vashik about market forces? No, it's not really his thing per se. Okay. No, because he's. Well, no, I don't. Uh, he's not the one to ask for that per se. But interesting question. But no, I don't think I did. Uh, well, maybe we did. I was. I don't remember much much of it. Honestly, <laughs> it was very early in the morning. Um, you got me a frappuccino. So that was nice. Uh, and then the way to Ben's heart. Absolutely. And then, and, stomach. and then the last thing is uh, Sasha Bubbles. We didn't mention he made Sasha Bubbles. Who is in the sea? Alexander Bublik is his other government name, <laughs> and uh, he made third round, which is not that great. He lost to Andahar. Could have been Andahar, but we still enjoy him and wish him all the best. Uh, Diego Schwartzman made fourth round or quarters actually rather, and beat Zverev en route. Um, Zverev. Uh, let's move on to the women, <laughs> shall we? Um, let's talk Have about let's talk about Bianca Andreescu, <laughs> who is the U.S. Open champion. You heard I was I said to you I said to a bunch of people I was so sure she was going to win. I heard it. Ben was like, literally, when Ben walked away from my desk before the final, he said like, uh, I can't remember the exact wording, but basically like, there's no way. She does not win this. Match. I was just going. I was just going to dominate. I thought she was going to roll, and I mean, she nearly won six three six one. So I will cling to that in terms of my like confidence in that pick for uh, Andrescu, who I was thinking about it. I literally don't think I've ever watched her lose because I you did not. I didn't watch the Acapulco match against Kennan. Did you watch the Auckland final? No, I didn't. Might have been on route. I was traveling between yeah. Perth and. Uh, Melbourne during that match but I watched I think one match in Acapulco I watched um, I think I actually watched part of the Bouchard match on, on stream in Newport? Newport yeah and then I watched a bunch of the Indian Wells I watched some Miami I watched I watched a lot of the match against Contavite where she retired which I don't really count because um, she was so clearly like hurt during that match um, and then, yeah and then I watched a little bit of Canada and a lot of US Open and she just kept winning and like Medvedev too had that same sort of thing where I just watched them win so much. I just believed in them constantly. And Andrescu just looked so solid. Like all those matches, like the Kerber final in Indian Wells, I didn't know what would happen. That was a very close match. She was kind of like cramping and hurt, whatever. But once she got through that, I was like, wow. Like she like really knows how to win. She's like an incredibly mentally tough player, incredibly good at just like match management and all these different skills. Which honestly, I, you realize once you see it how it's been lacking in other players, and she just has the kind of inevitability you just haven't seen it on a player, especially WTA, in a very long time. And she's been so much better than her ranking. She's been so comfortable in the sport. And I, I still, there's still like an unwritten story. One of the interesting things about about Andrescu, which I pointed out to my editor, 
she left all these obvious teasers in her press conferences for what follow-up stories you should write. She's like, well, I had a conversation with someone that like really changed my year. It's like, she wouldn't say what it was or like, you know, like, well, there were things I was going through a year ago. Drama. Relationships and things like that. And, and now I'm, it's like, he left it like clear, like what was holding her back. Yeah. And just like to go from being a player who lost in the quali- first round of qualifying and of us open unremarkably and was outside top 100 a year ago to now being like this comfortable of a champion because honestly like when was she pushed i don't think she was pushed i mean did she lose a set no right bianca she oh, lost she also had two to, sets to townsend and, and to mertens yeah but neither of those was like i was ever really worried about those matches honestly um mertens did have a good tournament though but yeah and Jessica, no she was just so she was so good and like she was so good she was so good Bianca Andreescu is 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 the real deal. I mean, like, and I'm not one to declare these things. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, I'm very much like, let's wait and see. Let you know, like, a lot of things can go wrong. She already has a slam, so we've already seen. Yeah, but like, but but I was talking to um, a few people after the final, and they're like, "Did you see this coming?" And I was like, "I mean, I thought that it was a fifty fifty match, dependent on which Serena showed up." But no, this is not surprising. And and the thing is, is that to me, she played better in Indian Wells than she did in New York. I don't think she even played her best tennis. Maybe the first set against Serena was, was close, but she just won a slam title without playing her best. And that is a very rare thing. I mean, Barty played really good in Roland Garros. Simona played the match of her life to win Wimbledon. Naomi played impeccably at the Australian Open and the US Open. Like... I don't think that, and what makes me so excited about Andrescu, and this goes back to really watching her in a in a condensed time in Indian Wells, is that that game that she has is replicable. She doesn't sit there and hit the crap out of the wall, uh, and then therefore maybe there's going to be a match where she can't find the court and she loses. It's not like an Osaka or like a Keys right. or like a Petra. Serena or Petra, honestly, where they're like big swingers and sometimes they'll miss like she's not a big swinger she's not a big swinger super controlled and within herself yeah and and she believes in herself and maybe that turns people off i don't know but like this kid has never been short of confidence and i there was a great anecdote on espn from darren cahill uh before the final and he said you know three years ago i was riding in the car with andrescu and with simona and if you know from Toronto, it's like a 45-minute drive from the hotel to site and back. And so conversation happens, whatever. And Jessica gets out of the car. And Simona, according to Darren, turns to him and said, well, she's confident. And that was when she was 16. And that mental fortitude and that belief, you know, because we talk so much about players putting them in the position to win not coming through because the doubt creeps in and there really wasn't outside of the crowd kind of getting under her skin you know in the final it it just never felt in doubt you know and and the kid is freaking good i mean she's won all eight meetings against a top 10 player in her career absurd stat that's an absurd stat and like honestly and i can pull it up right now hold please um, we went and looked at other players. So in comparison, so Bianca Andreescu has won her first eight matches against top 10. Serena was five and three. 
Venus was two and six. Mm. Azarenka was two and six. Wozniacki was one and seven. Halep was one and seven. Sharapova was zero and eight. Kvitova was three and five. Muguruza was two and six. Like you cannot ignore what this kid has done because it hasn't been done before. She ties Monica Seles's record in terms of the fastest route from Slam debutante to Slam champion fourth. Fourth main draw appearance, she wins. That's when Monica won her 1990 French Open. Like, you just... And and even talking to her, like, there's just this sense of calm and almost expectation that this is happening. I My first time ever talking to her, and I actually have not spent a lot of time with her because I was not in Indian Wells, I was not in Toronto this year, which were two tournaments she won. Um, My first time talking to her, her... this year was after the drama queen moment in Miami with like a mix zone after the match was a late yeah. night match. And she was just so chill and so not rattled by what had just happened with the drama queen thing. And it was just so just like, I just feel like had this air of like invincibility around her and confidence, which you just don't see. And the thing about tennis, like you lose every week, you get kind of that insecurity of built into you. You're, you get used to losing and develop bad habits in that way. Um, which are inevitable, I think, a lot of times. I don't think it's something you can necessarily always fight. But she hasn't lost. I'm like, how is she not lost? How is she never losing? And granted, she's played a very limited schedule, so that makes her odds better of not losing. She but skipped like, two, two, two seasons, effectively. Two slams and two didn't play much clay, barely any clay, one match on clay, and then no Nothing. grass. So, yes, okay, so that's like, that's, I'm not saying it's like, take me easy way out at all. That's not what it was. But, like, I just remember when I, I did an interview with like Toronto, some Toronto newspaper, I think, before Rogers Cup, and they were asking me questions like, well, you know, Bianca has had a really good season, you know. Okay. Oh, oh, yo, she's had the best season, you know. Okay, it's not it's, Fargo. That's not, it's not Fargo. It's not Sorry. Fargo, Ben. All right, let me redo that. <laughs> Bianca's had a really good season, and she's coming into the Rogers Cup with a lot of confidence. What do you think she can do in this tournament? We've seen her win tournaments before, and I was like, I would be very measured, very careful expectations here. Like her first tournament back, you know, she's playing going into form. Like be unfair to expect her to win the tournament. Just like get a few matches under her belt, prepare for the U.S. Open. Maybe she's rushing back because we don't know. It just really wants to play at home, and it just wouldn't play if it was in some other week. So I would really temper expectations for for Toronto, and maybe hopefully by you know the Asian swing she back at her best. This lady a. went out and won Toronto and then won the U.S. Open. Like, with, like, no prep. And, like, oh, my gosh, she's making me look like I'm just, like, a, you know, a cautious Carla or something. Uh, I don't even know what that means. But, I, <laughs> I, I, like, she's just been, she's been defying logic and progressions and things. And, again, like, what happened? I think we still need to learn. I don't think we found out the answer. What happened to make her go so quickly from being number 200-something to best in the world? Because she is powering as number one right now. If she's healthy, yeah. she's not losing. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it just has to do with, like, getting that first win. I mean, if if, you, if you're anti-Andrescu, then go back to her beating Mosiaki. I think at that point, that's your first top 10 match. And you routed her. In Auckland, you mean. In Auckland. In Auckland. Uh, and then following that up and beating Venus, um, all this sort of stuff. Zue, which is a tough win. Yeah, I, to me, the minute that I started to genuinely pay attention to Andrescu was the Sue Shea match. Uh semi-finals or quarterfinals semi-finals of Auckland that was when I was like okay because Sue Shea, just like Aga Wawanska is a is a test to be passed like your skill as a tennis player is to beat this player and she she did it in three sets and it was it was remarkable and that's when I started to think okay 
you know, and then obviously Indian Wells, I think really, really cemented it, cemented it for me. But the kids, the real deal. I mean, like I said, as I said at the start of the, the segment, that game is replicable. There's so much margin built into the way that she hits the ball. She's a good athlete. She's strong. She's fast. And she has amazing hands. And the biggest thing is that she is tactically astute. And that's a thing that at 19 years old, you don't expect. I mean, there are 26, 27, 28, 29 year olds that don't have that. And her ability to adapt and to, to you know, uh, adjust her game according to her opponent is massive. Because then it becomes like Madison Keys before the tournament said, you know, women's tennis is about matchups right now. Like the, the, the matches that we tune into as players are like, oh, how is this person's game going to pit up against that person's game? But what if you have a player, which is Andrescu, who can adjust to every single type of game? Because then you're in a situation where a Madison Keys losing to Svitolina makes sense because Maddie's game is Maddie's game and Spitz's game is Spitz's game. And then Spitz rolls over against Serena because Spitz's game is what it is and Serena's game is what it is. But now you have a player who is so well-rounded that it's actually not about matchups because she can adjust to the matchup. And that is like a very, very, I think, new introduction to the sport of, of, of like the current state of women's tennis. Because it's it's been kind of like, okay, you're going to – this per- player is going to do this. That player is going to do that. And whoever executes better will win that match. And Na- And Bianca is not that. I'm not trying to be down on women's tennis, but it's been a lot of one-dimensional players lately in that way. I mean, like where you could kind of guess matchups and guess how things would go or at least predict what kind of patterns would happen. And Bianca is one of the only players you can think of who has really credible, viable plan B, plan C in her game. And I think that's a skill that's more rare than it used to be. I'm not sure why, but it is. And she really takes advantage of that really well. And just it's, it's so confident and so smart on court. Um... And again, I don't, I haven't seen enough of her to know where that comes from yet. We're still learning her story. We're still learning her tennis origins. Um, but there's a lot to really, I think, really, really like about Bianca. And I think that my, I, again, I, like I said before, I've not been here right, but I like really thought she beat Serena. I thought, to switch to Serena a little bit, like I thought Serena would play better than she did. Um, or at least I thought she wouldn't play bad in the way that she played bad because I thought that she, her serve was so bad. From the beginning, she double. She was at four fifteen, and defended a couple bad errors, and double faulted from twice in a row, back to back, from Deuce to like get Bianca the lead and to like ease that kid's nerves in a first slam, semi first slam final, just like really just like giving her a lot of confidence and just like it was just like what are you doing, Serena? And then her serve never really got it together. It was really erratic and shaky the whole time. She didn't seem to know when to be necessarily. She was hitting some good shots she actually played okay off the ground i think for the most part but like wasn't reading the serve very well that bianca looked like a really good server bianca did serve really well in that final um and then just yeah like serena gosh serena it's this weird situation because it's a very new serena to compute because it's not a serena we've seen before with the serena who can't close but that's what it's come down to at some point she is now it's the buffalo bills analogy like she's made four finals in six slams, which is remarkable, especially considering that she got hurt in the Australian Open when she was at 5-1 in the third, um, which now she repeats over and over again. After I after maybe erring too far on the side of saying it didn't bother me at all in January, she's now like, no, no, remember I got really hurt, really rolled my ankle in, in January, which is true. 
Um, I'm glad she's kind of owning that a little bit, actually. Uh, now to being just like and now in her press conference in yesterday was remarkable. Like she really was just like couldn't hide. She couldn't. There was no excuse this time. Like she was just like, I'm not playing how I want to play in Grand Slam finals. And this is a pattern now. And I am very frustrated by this and very concerned and alarmed and, and upset by this. She was upset that she just is not being the, and she talked to herself in third person, the fair amount, but being the Serena she wants to be and couldn't get Serena out there. And I think maybe, I'm not saying for her as much, because I don't think, because she, I think has never lacked, never lacked um, respect for her peers. I think maybe her coach has. I think that she was maybe underprepared for Andrescu. And even, even today, Mortoglu um, on ESPN was saying, we all know Serena always gets what she wants. It was like, well, no, Serena's lost four slam finals in a row. She's li- literally not getting what she wants, which is to win slams. And maybe you should start, you know, not just thinking that everything will be so easy and actually breaking down these kids. And maybe there isn't a solution to Andrescu yet. And none of these four matches uh, in isolation look like horrific. I think the, war- the one that I really thought she'd win was Halep. Halep played better than expected, but Serena was not competitive in that match. In a way that I don't understand how she was not competitive against Halep on grass. I just don't get that. Um, Osaka was obviously a messy match, but I thought she'd be better than that one. Kerber, yeah, she was brand new on back on tour with Kerber. But at the same time, she had beaten Kerber a lot in their careers. And I thought she'd do better in that match, too. So all four of them, like, in isolation, none of them is that awful by itself. But together, losing four in a row, like, come on, Serena. Like, you've had chances, like, and all four opponents were good. If Serena, with due respect to Marquette of Androsheva, if Serena had gotten to play that French Open final Marquette of Androsheva, Serena would have rolled over her easily. I mean, she hasn't gotten, like, a really weak opponent, in a weak performance from an opponent in a Grand Slam final yet. Maybe she will. Maybe she keeps making them, she will. But, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's tough to watch with Serena at this point, where you just know how bad she wants it, how much she's still hung up on this 24, fairly or unfairly, but that's not the mark, but she has it in her head and she wants it and she just can't get it and she's not coming close and like the only close set she's had in these eight sets in grand slam finals was against andrescu and that was when andrescu led 5-1 and could have breadsticked her i mean yeah so it's it's a tough time for serena i really hope serena i don't think she will i hope serena plays asia like she's five in the race right now i believe on the live race i think that's probably official now um i i would love to see her play Beijing and crap. I'd love to see her play like Tianjin or Hong Kong or something. Just like you are healthy, you're playing well, but you want to play better. What do you do in that situation? You play more tournaments. I don't think she needs more practice. I don't think she needs more practice at all. I don't think that's her issue whatsoever. I think she should go play some tournaments, become a more full time player, and see what happens because you haven't tried that lately. You haven't tried actually playing the tour in a meaningful way that's not just the, the sort of like strategic lead up picks. No, go play the tour. You've done it before. You did it for twenty years. You had a, you had a great time. You made friends along the way. The real tour is the friends you make along the way. I think that in a lot of ways, like she just needs to win a final. That's why I say play Hong Kong. No, I know. play something small. Yeah, Hong Kong is actually medium sized in its own way. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you one hundred percent. It's really hard to watch. I mean, Serena is zero for eight in the sets in Grand Slam finals since she has returned. She has been broken in the first two games of every single Grand Slam final that she's played since she's returned. Three of those four, it was the first opening service game against Kerber. Basically, Kerber, Halep, and Andrescu all lost the toss 
and received, or sorry, won the toss, chose to receive and broke. The only player where Serena held serve in her opening game was against Osaka, and then she was broken in the second one. She double faulted that opening breakaway against Osaka and Andrescu. Like these are self these are good stats. These are self inflicted wounds. Um, I think she's only broken serve in those four finals five times. Yeah, it was five times because up until at one five in yesterday's final, Tennis Channel flashed that she had only won three return games in the Grand Slam finals up to that point. Yikes! And then she broke twice, and so it's five. The other thing I will add is she's won 24 games in the four finals, which is just, is that 24 just... never haunts her. That's, that's some. Uh, I screamed when I, when you told me that. That's some like, uh, I don't even know what the right analogy is. I'll call it stigmata. <laughs> it's not right, but it feels like a, like a horribly crucifying moment for her. Jesus. Um, literally. literally. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the, these are trends. I mean, that's the problem is that. Like you said, in isolation, every single one of those matches is an explanation. But again, but I think that the big reason why her press conference after losing to Andrescu was so riveting to me and to you is that it was finally almost a Serena who understood that there was no ex- there was no excuse here. You know, uh, Kerber and Osaka, un- yeah, absolutely. You're coming back. It's soft. Like you're you're not physically fit. You're not doing. You're not moving the way that you wanted to move. 10 days before the Wimbledon, you're finally healthy. And maybe that's not enough time to prep and, and Simona played out of her mind. I'm, I'm giving benefit of the doubt. Here, you played six matches. You went into the final having had your serve broken three times through six matches. You're unbelievable. You're firing on all cil- cylinders. And then you put in a performance like that. I can understand why... She was the way that she was because there's no excuse for that. Yeah. And then that bleeds into the last three finals of like, actually, maybe there was no excuse for how I performed in the last three. Maybe that was all maybe a myth. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's me. And that is a tough, tough, tough thing to and reckon that kind with. Of self-doubt is so it's crippling. Serena's thing. Also, yeah. Serena has been the queen the of past, delusion. The kind of well, yes. I that's mean, one way not to in a it, bad but, way, but but like, also you know? the queen of belief, self-belief yes. and the queen of believing that she's the queen of being able to talk to herself in third person like it's a superhero seriously yeah. and that that's the thing that she can aspire to be herself and that's that's wild that's great i mean that's good for you i've never done that um but that's good for you and you know, yeah i mean like it's it's tough it's impossibly high she's federer said this at some point i think when he lost i think when he lost to burditch here we have a federer expert in the room but i think Federer said when he lost to Burditch here that he's like, I've created a monster or something like that. Is that when he lost to Burditch? When did he say that? Oh, nine. Oh, nine. When he lost to Del Potro, maybe. Australian Open, sorry. Australian Open, oh, nine, when he when he lost to Nadal in the final. He said, like, I've created a monster. Everyone expects me to win every match. And Serena, the monster's way beyond that because there's all this, like, general pop culture coverage of her. They all just think she's going to win all the time and thinks it's inevitable. And her coach is believing this stuff. And I think that's not helpful. I think her coach being like, we all know Serena can do it if she it's just herself. No, clearly she can't. Clearly this Serena is not ready to win a slam right now. We've seen that. It's been tested four times. Win a slam final. It's this very it's this very weird situation where she's been exactly good enough to make finals and then not good enough to win them. It's a weird 
uncomfortable Buffalo Bills again like Buffalo Bills made NFL history for non-American or non that old listeners who made history by making the being the first member to make four Super Bowls in a row incredible feat they won none of those Super Bowls and they're like now a punchline and Serena should not be a punchline that's not her thing and but she's yeah she's got to figure it out and I I I hope she has something together and again I come back to the fact that I think she should play more like I think Right now is the exact time to play more because she's healthy. She's not carrying any injury we know about. She's going into the fall where she can still play Beijing and or Shenzhen and play Beijing to make sure you get into Shenzhen to just make it so you're not taking four months off. I will say this. I think that, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, obviously as a tour employee, I would love for Serena to play through the Asian swing. As a non-tour employee. I would but, as a, but as a human... Like she wants to be with her kids, she wants to be with her family. She that is the tension that she feels sometimes. I do believe that. Um, and like getting back to your point about about kind of, I think in a lot of ways. Well, I mean, I guess that it, it it's kind of like a a turning point for Serena because she's. I think it. I think that it's very very good that she kind of came out with the press conference that she did. No more of this hiding behind the myth of Serena and the I'm the best and that's just me and blah, blah. But like literally, I mean, it was very honest and very raw and it was very moving, in my opinion, to hear her say like, I'm not okay with this. And it's not okay that this is happening, but it keeps happening. And I don't know why. I don't know why it's happening. And it's freaking killing me. That's what people needed to hear because so long as... The myth of Serena continues to be spun. Like I remember the morning of the final, 538 put out a tweet that said, Serena's on fire, everybody go home, in all caps. That's the BS that she deals with here. And that is a BS. And that's from 538 that actually runs numbers, to which I say, please run the numbers of her finals. Like, you know, like you can talk all you want about the six matches to get there. I know she can win six matches. At this point, the issue is the seventh match. And in that seventh match, she has been subpar four straight times. Very subpar. Like, those are not close matches. They were not. They were literal blowouts except for this one and only because Andrescu didn't close at, at, at 6-1. But it's tough, you know, and and it's just hard to watch. And, and I will echo what I've said before. I don't think 24 is a real record. No, definitely not. Agreed. I think I think that the idea of whether it came from Patrick or whether it came from Serena of chasing 24 and telling the world that you're chasing 24-25, I think was detrimental. It breaks my heart that Serena cannot take the court and just play to play in the way that Roger gets to play, to play. Nobody is weeping over Roger not being able to catch freaking Margaret Court, which is the all-time record men or women. Nobody was saying that about Steffi. When Steffi got, like, her 22, nobody, oh, gotta get three more. Literally no one was saying that. No one was saying that to Martina. Nobody was saying that about Chrissy. But Serena has to deal with it. And some of it is self-inflicted because she imbued, she 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 breathed life into the, a record that a lot of us kind of were just like, well. And so, but I would hope that at this point, she lets that go and just plays. I refer to it as Serena Williams' quest to win her open era record-extending 24th Grand Slam. 100%! 100%! 100%! 100%! 100%! 100%! 100%! 100%! 100%! 100%! 100%! 100%! 100%! 100%! 100%! 100%! 100%! 100%! 100%
But I do. In the open era. When tennis is a professional sport, I mean, no one talks about, like, I'm talking about, I don't know, which team is one of the most World Series, like, talk about, like, stickball championships in the 1800s. I mean, no, it's not, or, or cricket in the, whatever cricket got invented. No, but, like, this is, like, the comparable thing. Or, and, like, summer league in NBA. No, like, it doesn't count. It doesn't count. Because, it Mark, doesn't count. Mark, Mark, I mean, we can have whatever various, um, whatever various objections we have to Mark record as a person. <laughs> which are all fair and valid, but also just like the tennis doesn't hold up either. Like she had a couple good years in the early seventies in the pro era for sure. She won a calendar slam in 1970. She was a great player, but like, I'm going to get these numbers flipped. I think, I think 13, 13 of her, of her slams were before the open era when the number of people playing, which wasn't a professional, wasn't a professional sport back then. And very few players got the support that I think she got from the Federation or some other backer to go play slams in a full calendar of slams um all the time or whatever schedule she played was fairly heavy it cost money yeah and, and it wasn't there the serena williams of the world could not afford to do that back then or the eastern europeans of the world could not afford to do that back then it was a very privileged thing that margaret court got to do as gia gunn would say what privilege uh and and then like and then she wins and then, and then overall of her 24 also 11 were australian opens which Many of which did not get a full uh, complement of, of sure. top players playing them. And then, if we're going to get into slam counting as currency, which was only invented to make Pete Sampras interesting, I contend. Um, if that had been the thing all along, Chrissy and Martina would both have more than 20, at least. And Billy would have actually, like, yeah. maybe not sacrificed her career. I mean, the idea that these players are boiled down to a singular number just infuriates me on such a level that like Chrissy, Martina, Steffi, and Serena here's are what, in the GOAT conversation. There is no GOAT. Here's what Serena did. Serena won two what we she calls Serena Slams, or the media calls Serena Slams, winning all four slams in a row. She did that like twelve years apart from each other. Unbelievable. That's unbelievably good. That's so good. Oh my gosh, you're good for you. It's amazing. Like we should talk about that. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about her being the only person to win Wimbledon six times and have an HSN line. Amazing. And there's so many ways to think about Serena positively and that she, and that we framed her in this way and she's been complicit in it, media's been complicit in it, and makes her somehow falling short. It's just ridiculous. And that's all I have to say about that. I was in a, a cab, an Uber, uh, from my hotel in Cincinnati. A lot happened in Cincinnati, by the way, uh, anecdote-wise. But uh, since I was in a cab from uh, Cincinnati to the Cincinnati airport, from Mason to Cincy, and the guy who was driving my cab was like a mega tennis fan. Like he pulled up and I would, and Madison was outside as well waiting for her car. Um, and we were just talking and the guy pulled up. He's like, is that Madison Keys? And I was like, you know, Madison Keys? Uh, and he's like, he popped out. He, he's like, do you think she'll take a selfie? I was like, yeah, sure. Go up and ask her. I don't know. Um, but anyways. Did she? Yeah, she did. Yeah. So we're in the car and we're talking and he was like asking tons of questions about Serena and everything like that. And he was like, you know, this whole 24, I mean, he was like deeply knowledgeable. He's like this whole 24 thing. Like, what is that about? And I was like, she kind of explains, oh, it's okay. Woman named Margaret Court, one, 24. Serena says she wants to beat that, like blah, blah. And he's like, that's, that's really disappointing. I was like, what do you mean it's disappointing? I worry that she ends her career on that note. No. 
I worry that too, Uber driver. Yeah. I wonder if it was the same Uber driver I had last year in Cincinnati when my car was half in trouble. I took a bunch of Ubers in Mason. There's only like three Uber drivers in Mason. <laughs> um, and he was one who was tell- talking about how he'd watch the Althea documentary. Wow. Um, on PBS when it had aired there, apparently. By the way, Althea got her statue. Good for her. Yeah, no, so, you know, that, that's, that's Doesn't a really thing. look like her, but good for her. That's the thing that just kind of, like, stresses me out about the Serena thing. It's it's not about the losing, and it's not about, yeah. but it's this idea that, like, she set this goal of 24-25. She hasn't come close to getting it. The tour is getting better. There are more contenders. And that, this illustrious, unbelievable, phenomenal career that the idea that Serena would have a bitter taste about it is like really, really sad to me because it's like you freaking changed the sport and you're an icon above. I mean, you're bigger than the sport. And to think that like, she, I don't know, like feel so. And, and fair enough. Like maybe that's what makes her Serena. Yeah. But with, ah. with Serena, with Venus, with Sharapova, with roger i think people could argue very wrongly for almost all of them probably all of them that this recent chapters of their career is like diminishing their legacy quote unquote i hate that idea i hate that idea it's so stupid even like sharapova who's not playing well at all right now and is probably like not likely not to play well again like doesn't it's kind of what you've done like you are what you were and i said the same thing about Anna, goddamn legends well, even about Anna Ivanovich or somebody who like peaked what <laughs> who peaked really early in their have careers have you said this it, it really early in their careers like we, we, compare her this is a bad analogy because he won three but compare her to like Sandra Vrinka who had a really kind of lousy first like 10 years of his career on the pro tour and people don't people overlook that part now like it's just like ugh, it just I've, I've, me. I've always said this like why is it that Anna Ivanovich is a punchline but Sam Sosa or Francesca Schiavone is a legend. Yeah. Like, that's weird to me. Like, the kids still did it. You know? Like, it, I don't know. I don't know that Sam Sosa is a legend. But that's, regardless. Let's, How dare you, I want to talk mate. About, I want to talk about <laughs> some women who made the fourth round of this tournament. Um, I want to start with Naomi Osaka, okay. who um, made the fourth round. And I mostly want to talk, and she lost to Benchich, which was not, which is a really good sort of like if you know you know kind of loss like she lost her twice before this year great talent and i actually think benches i think uh osaka was like people took that loss in context i think i don't think she got dragged for it whatsoever um and it was seven five six four it was yes, close it was close um osaka had this great um great moment that got a lot of attention after she beat coco golf in the first round uh, sorry third round after Goff had another really uh, media-captivating run to the third round, um, beat her 3-0. and It was a uh, comprehensive beatdown in the end. And uh, they had this moment at the net. And it was like the amount of the moment. And she encouraged Goff to stay and do the interview. And that she did. And actually, my mom was like, let her go. She looks sad. Let her go cry in the locker room. Um, but she stayed, and it got a lot of attention. This was like one of the breakout moments of the U.S. Open. Weirdly, two breakout moments were Mevit of being a heel, and this also like feel-good moment, which are both yeah. third of third-round moments. God bless tennis. Yeah, you know, both, both all the emotions. Painting with all the uh, crayons in the Crayola box, uh, I tell you. Uh, 64. Uh, oh, more than that. That's the 128, whatever. I never had the 64. You know, well, there was a bigger box of 64, right? Wasn't yeah, there? the 128. But like, I never got over like 32. Oh, man. 
We were poor. Got to get you one of those. They're great. It would be so luxurious. You have no idea. What is it like without Periwinkle? <laughs> um, Naomi Osaka. Uh, I think she she only she went one round less than Sloan went last year, but I think both of their like title defenses and they should both be like very proud of and head held high. I think Naomi had a a nice nice tournament for herself here. Yeah, agree. I mean, I wrote in my draw reaction uh, on the WTA website that. Naomi Osaka's title run or title defense is will run up against Belinda Benchich. And I basically wrote like that match, like the fact that Benchich is in her section. She's on the draw show too. Yeah, yeah. So long as Benchich is there, if she can survive her section, she got a big walkover that from Contavite. That was massive. That she didn't have to play Contavite. Yeah. yeah. So, but so long as Benchich was going to be there in the fourth round, um, it was, it was probably not going to happen for Osaka. And, but she had her breakout moment. In a lot of ways, she had her Arthur Ashe moment. Open oh, talk. No, I mean, like... Oh, I mean the stadium. Yeah, the, the, the stadium. Like, not, just not like, the renowned humanitarian. <laughs> no. Uh, although she did the best she could with what she had. Yeah. Um, oh, there you go. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think well that... Played. Thanks. I, I just I think... I everyone caught that, but that was really good. <laughs> but I, I just think that, like, she, she had her moment. She was celebrated. People... It was an opportunity for people to understand who Naomi Osaka is as a player and a person that she's not a villain that in any way, shape or form, she's a very good tennis player. And that moment felt really, really pure. I mean, even if you go back and you look at like, cause I know people were like, just let her go like, blah, blah, blah. But if you, you go back and listen to the exchange between Naomi and Coco, um, all audible. Which, which was all audible. And like Coco was like, no, I just want to go back. And Naomi was like, like, come on. Like, you don't want to go back to the locker room and just cry. Trust me. Cry in the shower. Cry in the shower. It was very specific. Very real. And also, golf was like, it's your moment. Like, that's what she didn't yeah. want to do. She wanted to, like, take off her Naomi's moment. Naomi's had a lot of moments. She's fine. Naomi doesn't need moments. Like, if it's not a Naomi moment, she's Naomi is fine with it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So, that so that was really sweet. That was really good. Obviously, we had Sharapova, Serena to kick things off. Um, and a lot of really, really compelling matches, I thought. I'm going to talk about two more fourth rounders. The first one I'll talk about is on this top half of the draw. They both are top half, actually. Taylor Townsend. Oh, who, amazing. Who made the fourth round, lost in three sets to Andrescu, um, and had a uh, really breakout moment where she played Simona Halep, who is the Wimbledon champion, in the second round and played this like kamikaze sort of net rushing tennis. 106. 106 net rushes. Um, which is like crazy. And I wrote an article. I'm going to talk about Katie McNally a little bit also. But Katie McNally got a lot of credit for playing an all-court brand of tennis the day, the day before, I think. Um, against uh, Serena Williams in the second round. Also pushed Serena to three and came to net like we thought a lot. She came to net like 20 times. Or like serving volley like 20. No, came to net like 20 and like 19 times. 106 for Taylor Townsend. Not even comparable. She like really... Lean into that strategy and it worked for her. And we've wanted this for Taylor Townsend for a long time. I'm pretty sure we talked about Taylor Townsend early on the show. She made, we started the show in 2012, February. She won the Australian Open in 2012, January. It's been a long journey for Taylor Townsend. And she has been one of those players we've just wanted to do well. She's so thoughtful, so smart, so, I don't know what the, I'm describing it, just like, wise worldly or like wise or just like insightful or something it's just like just a pleasure to talk to in this way that's just like brings this very different energy um it's been unique and been missing and i just like when she got when she was in that press conference 
after beating after beating house i was like gosh i just like miss you i've talked to her maybe like once in the last like three years because yeah. she just hasn't been relevant or around or around and she plays down a lot in the calendar she she picks a lot of smaller tournaments debatable whether or not she should do that as much as she does she says it's for financial reasons but also it's very sort of like low risk low reward her scheduling um which maybe she could find a balance of being medium risk medium reward sometimes anyway um Taylor back that went off of being Kirstea in the third round. And it was just really just cool to see her back. And I and she's back in the top 100 with this. I just hope that she can keep it going because she's just such a positive person. And she's been through a lot of crap also. Like when we talked about, like we said, an hour ago or so, hour or so ago about Grigor Dimitrov. Like Taylor Townsend, also a young junior slam champ, junior number one, I think, who had, you know, who went through a lot of stuff with the Federation, the USTA, getting benched for essentially from the U S open in 2012. And they said she was too fat to play when she was number, number one and having to deal with that media scrutiny and even just people like rooting for her for that reason, just like that attention on her body and stuff. Just like, it was a lot to deal with for, for a person that young. And, and she has at times had a very us against the world sort of mentality, I think at times, which is understandable. And, but maybe that's not always positive. And she's just finding, she's finding herself and still, and maybe she's not all the way there, but like, her tennis was there this tournament, and she played really nice tennis against Andrescu in that uh, fourth round match. It was a night match. It was cool, and the crowd got behind her. The crowd being so behind Taylor actually was made me worried about Andrescu in the final against Serena, because I was like, if she had this much trouble against the Townsend crowd, a Serena crowd is a whole different ball of wax. So yeah, Taylor was a uh, was a delight to be around, and hopefully it's not the last we see of her in these kind of stages. We stand Taylor Townsend. We've been standing Taylor Townsend since she was 16 years old. 15. She went off showing up at 15. Yeah, 15 with the bows and the braces and the oh, bracelets. The bow. I mean, like, I, this is the thing with tennis players, right? Like, people don't have signature branding the way they could. Taylor Townsend wore these big ribbons, a white bow in her hair. It's usually white, almost always white in her hair. And it was sort of, like, little kiddish looking. But, like, it was also great. And, like, this is a deep cut. But, like, if anyone here watched... Um, American Idol season three. Oh my Lord. You'll remember this contestant from Hawaii named Jasmine Trias, who every episode wore this flower in her hair under in her ear, and she made the top three against superior competition. But she had good branding, and like nobody these days has like a little shtick. Like who has the signature accessory on this tour? I mean, maybe Sasha Zverev with his Mr. T chains. That's that's not even endearing. I mean, that's about it. That's all I can think of. I don't know. So I wish somebody had some sort of signature item. Maybe like you know, Medvedev and his tape. Medvedev's tape. Oh, that's gonna go away. <laughs> but like maybe Wickmeyer's earrings. Lena's tape. Let's go with that. I mean, like there's opportunity for branding. I'm just saying, be be yourself. Be something that you can latch onto. Be yeah. Taylor Townsend's cool. We love her. Uh, and and like I mean, I echo everything that Ben said and. I think that she's one of those underdogs that we've always like rooted for. And that's weird to call somebody who was a junior one, number one, like an underdog, but she has been because the system has kind of made her into one. So it just felt so good to see her vindicate, not just herself as a player, but her game style um, to, to really glow up. And and I got, I mean, I echo everything Ben said. I mean, like she is such a delight to talk to and like just everything like i please have taylor townsend be like a top 50 top 40 player gen like you know at minimum be part of the draw be part of the main draw be part of the the main portion of the tour play premier events like all that sort of stuff and maybe with this influx of cash it changes her scheduling i hope i hope that she reinvests in her career 
I mean, that's easier well, said I than... don't think... I, I would step away from the idea reinvest. Like, because that implies that there was an opportunity to invest. Maybe there was. I don't know. And I don't, I don't think know. that there was. But now, fourth round, slam money. Like, and obviously that'll get you in probably into main draw Aussie. Like, all these sorts of things. Like, I I really, really do hope that that, that influx, that, that capital... Uh, that VC round of funding pays off. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, the other fourth rounder I'd like to talk about is a couple of lines down from Taylor on that fourth round uh, thing. Christy on. Whoop, whoop! According, I, I wrote a story about, actually, I got more reaction to the Christy on story I wrote about her parents than, like, maybe any story I'd written this year. It felt like at least people, like, coming up to me, like, wow, the Christy on story about her parents was, like, great. And I want you to talk about this because, obviously, like, one of the things, the most Twitter comments I got were from people who were saying who were themselves Asian American of some flavor and were saying, Oh my gosh, this is so Asian. What you, and you, I think are nodding to that too. Like what talk about Chrissy on her situation, her story and why people um, of similar continental heritage to you can relate to it so much. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, Gosh, where do we even begin? I mean, Christiane, who who her parents basically said, like, I don't care if you win the U.S. Open when you're a teenager, you're going to go to school because you'll never get into Stanford if not for the tennis. Uh, so Christy went to Stanford, played well, obviously, graduated with a degree. She played the U.S. Open at 16, by the yes. way, I should point out. In 2008, she qualified <laughs> for the U.S. Open at 16, yes. which is incredible. Unbelievable. So, so that happens. Um, and, you know... 11 years pass and she doesn't qualify for the for any slam um she's kind of toiling away she'd never made her top 100 debut which she will on monday um and her when she graduated from stanford because and this and this is probably where like christy and i like our stories kind of merged was that it was at um, charleston last year and she had beaten sam stozer and came really close to beating gerges um in a tie break and so, you know, everybody's kind of going through their questions, like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And I, and I kind of finally looked at her and I was like, how do your parents feel about this? And she looked at me with that knowing look. And she said, oh, are, we re- are you really asking that? I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're going there. And she's like, okay. Because from an Asian American background, we are expected to be doctors or lawyers or MBAs if you're lucky. <laughs> like if if your parents are like avant-garde and are, and think that business is okay and and coders and engineers and whatever if you and if you want to do something outside of that it, it is tr- troubling and and I remember when I talked to Christy about that cuz we did the press conference and then I asked uh for a one-on-one later and we talked very very explicitly about it that I never used it was just a personal conversation really more than anything else about the idea that this is not normal. And in so much in tennis, there is this projection, whether from fans or from journalists, of like, these people are living their dream. How could they possibly complain? This is the unbelievable. But from an Asian American perspective, it's not. Like you would have to like really convince your parents. Like I graduated from from college and told my parents I wanted to go teach. They were not excited about that. They said, please go to law school, at least do that. And if something happens down the road, then you want to leave it, fine. But you, you need to get a, a, your law school degree. Okay. So I did that. And obviously now I'm where I'm at because they gave me the freedom. But my parents are super progressive. 
And that was what was expected. So same thing for Christy. She graduates from Stanford, wants to go pro. Her parents are like, we'll give you three years. We will financially support you for three years. But she made a deal with them because she got a full ride to Stanford. Right. Like, hey, you would have paid for my college. So, hey. Yeah. So she does that. And every single time that she's on the brink of having to realize she has to go into the workforce, a result happens. And it was just great to see and just the emotion and her friends getting to be there. Like this win didn't happen in Australia. It didn't happen in Roland Garros. It didn't happen in Wimbledon. She's a Jersey girl and her friends got to like be there. And I, st- I talked to her friends and, and they're just like, like one works for the gov- like the city, the other one's in PR. And they were like, oh yeah, no. The minute that my, my meeting was done, I hightailed it over here to be here for this match. And that's the stuff, man. Like, I mean, like we can all talk about the Serena's of the world and, and Rafa and how amazing they are, but those small stories, as Barbara Stritzova reminded me, are, 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 are the fuel to the fire. And it was really lovely to see Christy do that. Taylor, you know, those, those Grigor, those moments are the moments that, that make it. Cause I don't, what could I possibly write about Rafael Nadal that you haven't heard? But these people having the, the day of their lives yeah. and of their careers, that is that is incredibly moving to me. I think that's why appealed to people to people so appealed so much to people about the on story is that it was just like counter narrative. Yeah. It was like the parents who were like and, and John Worth I mentioned in his fifty parting shots in his mailbag, or as I call him rather. He said it was like tennis parents are pushy. These are pulley. Like they, <laughs> they want her out. Yeah. <laughs> and it was they just... want their daughter to have a stable life, have a stable well, they job. They security. Right. Yeah. Which from from again from the yeah. Asian American uh, community, that is what they strive for. They just want security. It's not about ambition. They just want you to have a secure job and never worry about money. Like that's what Asian parents want. Um. And so, yeah, so I could relate a lot to Christine. She could relate a lot to me. And we've had these conversations over the years, but you it was Columbia panel together, right? Yeah, no. Yeah. So Christy, this spring, Christy and I, uh, for Asian American heritage, uh, Asian American Pacific heritage month, um, flew out to Columbia and did a talk at Barnard college to, uh, yeah, to a group. And, and we kind of relayed our examples and, talked about, you know, what Naomi's experience must be like, you know, cause she's obviously good friends with Christy and things like that. I recorded it and we were going to post it, but honestly it got a little personal. So I was like, maybe not post this, but, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's a very unique experience. And I really do feel because so many people think that being a professional a- athlete is aspirational, but in the Asian American community, it's not It's rebellious. It's rebellious. Yeah. And, and yeah. So great to see her uh have her glow up moment and great to see you uh bringing don on who i think is just an absolute hoss into the limelight oh thank you and and faye and 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 of course faye faye on yes and so they were they were fun so thank you for them and yeah it was good to get that kind of story because she talked about them and so i was like i can't write a christy story without her parents so i was glad to be able to bring that to fruition and then she got drubbed by mertens who's had a great tournament um uh last person i've mentioned on this list i just want to mention very briefly wong chung uh, hashtag findable fence. Um, I think had, had a nice tournament beat Ash Barty. Uh, that's all I'll say about that. Um, yeah, I just wanted to use that line. Um, other thoughts on the US Open before we uh, go? I think it was, it was just like a nice tournament. Like, it's not a flashy tournament. It's not like one that's like, was never, sca- never scandalous 
there's not like huge matches that are like wow wow moments but like it was like day in day out it was like nice and like pleasant and not boring there and it, when it looked like it was gonna be boring specifically i'm talking about the men's final that delivered late yeah. and so that kind of saved the men's tournament i think honestly um yeah i thought it was really positive and really good it's a really good way to ring out the millennium, as I said before. <laughs> Speaking of millennium, um, I'll give an outro. Um, I wrote an article. Um, I wish I could pull up and like read clips from it. But maybe I can. About Grigor Dimitrov. Uh, when I did my interview with him, he used so many Backstreet Boys lyrics because he invented the Backstreet Boys concert. And it was all about him going. It was like, it was like had Backstreet Boys lyrics, you know, playing. Roger Federer had like larger than life expectations. That was better than that. But it was something like just various titles and stuff and. I did, it didn't get published in anywhere near that form, and the shape of my heart was just very broken. <laughs> Can I just request, yeah. as the outro, Robbie Williams, Millennium. No. no. Why? That's not, 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 not the point. No, Lean not, into my joke. No, something from the Millennium album by Backstreet Boys. Let's put this together. Oh. That's what I was saying about Millennium. Ooh. That's their okay. second album. That was a big album. It's like fascinating. Fair enough. Yes. I once worked on a group project with a girl in eighth grade um who i say this with love her only contribution to the project was bringing in black and blue markers in honor of the backstreet boys third album black and blue that's like all she did this is just a reminder that group projects are shit terrible and this let's wrap this group project up um any rants raves thoughts on new york before uh we sign off these people i will say Weather really dictates how much I enjoy this tournament because I thoroughly enjoyed this tournament and it was a very temperate outside of the first two or three days of qualies. It was lovely. It was like even today, like walking around like fall in New York. I walked around in like a flannel and a leather jacket. It was great. Um, that is your look. I'm wearing a flannel right now. Because this was the flannel I was wearing. Anyways. Uh, yeah. No. So that's really good. Um, I will reiterate for those who have not seen it, W1A, fantastic show, streaming mm. on Netflix, highly recommend it. And secondly, if you haven't watched Succession on HBO, please do it. Greatest show on TV right now, and no one is watching it, and it really, really bothers me. Uh, that'll do it. Okay. Uh, what did I... Mm, I didn't do a lot of whole lot of culture stuff per se. I read Portnoy's complaint was not into it. Don't read that. Um, <laughs> I. <laughs> um, hmm. Oh, also grilled cheese sandwiches, delicious, which I rediscovered at this tournament. I never forgot, but yes, that, that's that's just true. <laughs> grilled cheese is good. Yeah, no, the U.S. Open looks like I think it's really just like I think it's, I think it's my favorite slam. It's the one. That I, it's the one that I feel like the most. And this makes sense as an American, I guess. But like, I feel just feel very like at home there. Like things yeah, make true. sense there to me. I don't find myself running up against its bullshit in a way that I find there to be significant bullshit in the other three slams. Oh, can I also ways. just give a quick shout out yeah. to the USTA? Honestly, like they have been, I've been very frustrated with them the last like three or four years, mm -hmm. just with like the way they run the tournament or handle the PR or their web situation or their social media. I think that this year was really, really, really strong. I think that the I forgot how bad their social used to be. It was disaster. Really bad. Disaster. Yikes. Uh, but I think that they really, really did a fantastic job this season um, in this, this iteration. And I don't know who the decision makers were or who are the, the, the machines behind it, but this was a really, really, really good U.S. Open across the board. And they got rid of those cameras that faced us. Yes. 
That was huge. Yes. No one needs to see us. <laughs> no. I got a face for radio, baby. I got a face for this podcast. <laughs> and a face for playing um, some Backstreet Boys song from Millennium. To be determined. Bye, guys. Ciao. The broken heart It's hard to see In a crimson love So hard to breathe Walk with me And maybe Night till the light So soon become Wild and free I can feel the sun You're ready